for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. When Lily Nicholson quit her last job at an upscale chain restaurant in Memphis, Tennessee, long hours and few benefits weren't her only complaints. It was a legit 100% moment where I was reaching into this dark, warm area where we keep like tablecloths and things like that. And it like smells like rats. <laughs> and it's dark and damp and all those things. And it's just like, I swear to Christ, if, if I get a rat bite, <laughs> just trying to fold these folks as linen and then sure enough, I had this like rat cross my foot. I was like, okay, that's it. I am one rat bite away from starting a, a food union. possible good could come from a rat's nest, workplace surveillance, truly horrible bosses, and workplace exploitation? Well, for Memphis, Tennessee's restaurant workers, the answer might just be a union. The Memphis Restaurant Workers United, to be precise. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm Sarah Camp Milam. And we are your hosts for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells stories of the changing American South. Designed to meet the particular needs and peculiar working conditions of the city's estimated 40,000 restaurant employees and its diverse employers, the MRWU is raising awareness and expanding its membership. Sarah Holtz has the story. Lily Nicholson did quit that job and start a food union, but not before her manager started a nasty argument during a double shift. I'm upstairs away from everybody, just like eating like food that I brought from home because I was working a double and wouldn't be able to get food in the middle. And so I wouldn't be fed. So like in order to like work a shift, like I got this is this is a time right now that I have to eat as fast as possible. Apparently that wasn't fast enough. My manager runs upstairs and, and is and just anxiously talking to me, gesticulating loudly, like, Lily, you have to stop eating right now. You can't do this. You're on camera. I'm so sick of getting getting phone calls from corporate office. And so I move. So he, you know, I'm, I'm out of sight from cameras, which, by the way, is in no place in that restaurant except for where the rat's nest is. <laughs> the altercation escalated from there, says Lily. The manager kept badgering me, doing everything short of like shoulder checking me, um, telling me that he never wanted to see me again. And finally, I was like, I think I'm just going to go home. I'll see you and put in my notice, my immediate notice. I mean, if like worst case scenario at a workplace, in a restaurant workplace. So the end. The end of that job signaled the beginning of Lily's labor group, Memphis Restaurant Workers United. As of 2022, her organization is slated to become the first formal union of food and beverage workers in Memphis. This is a big deal in Memphis the city where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. At the time of his death, Dr. King was in town to support striking sanitation workers. When I reported this story, Lily and other folks I interviewed told me labor unions hold special meaning in Memphis. I think that this is the only way in the city that killed King that we can really address hundreds of years of of some some pretty nasty exploitation. And I think that labor organizing is the way that I think that's the way we do it. A labor union is a formal group of workers who use collective bargaining to negotiate better working conditions and benefits. Though anyone can be a member of MRWU, 
most of Lily's comrades are fellow restaurant veterans. My name is uh, Alan Creasy. I've worked in restaurants since uh, 1997, so 24 years. I'm proud to say that I've I've been voted um, best bartender in Memphis by the Memphis Flyer, I think, five times. Now he works as a labor consultant. Alan also ran for election to the Tennessee House of Representatives in both 2018 and 2020. He has dozens of stories from behind the bar that mirror Lily's ordeal with her manager. You know, you eat over a cooler in the course of like five minutes where you basically, you know, swallow a sandwich, you know, pretty much whole. Alan told me horror stories about shifts that lasted up to 23 hours. But most of the exploitation he's faced in the restaurant industry is shocking simply because it's so common. His standard Friday or Saturday night shift was 10 hours with no break. He was always required to perform side work or non-tip tasks, like assisting with food orders for the same 213 per hour plus tips that's legal in the state of Tennessee. Even though he earned the Best Bartender Award year after year, he wasn't making any more money. In fact, he was making less. My income was gradually ebbing away by five to $10,000 a year. The bar and restaurant where Alan worked had shifted away from bar service toward food, so his tips began to drop off. And realizing that even though I was continually winning you know, praise and receiving that annual uh, Best Bartender Award, I was never going to make as much money as I had five years prior. And that's an unsettling realization to, to know that you're, you are better at your job, that you are more experienced, that you, you have a, a better clientele, you have a, a better concept of what you're doing, you're faster at your job than you ever have been. To see your, your income decrease year by year by year, it just... It kind of hits you in the gut, you know? Alan joined up with Lily, who had gathered a quorum of restaurant workers. She organized a petition that resulted in $2.5 million in pandemic support grants from the county government. Their ultimate goal was to create a formal union and begin to negotiate contracts with restaurants in Memphis so that workers will make a living wage with benefits. I've wanted to see labor unions really just to have some kind of power um, for 20 years at least um, and finally came to the realization that if if I want to see something and I don't see it, then I have to do it. When we come back, we'll find out what Lily and Alan did and are doing to transform the livelihoods of Memphis's restaurant workers. Simmons Catfish is a family-owned business that calls the Mississippi Delta home. The company is committed to quality catfish and, most importantly, to its employees. My name is Maria Esparza and I've been here 20 years at Simmons. I was born in Mexico, but I was raised in West Local, Texas. When I was 19, they brought us over here to Simmons on a working contract, and I haven't went nowhere since then. Maria works as a strip table supervisor, cutting fish at the Simmons Processing Plant in Yazoo City, the same Delta town that gave us author Willie Morris. The Simmons Company recently honored her 20 years of service. Simmons marked her anniversary with a gift of a living room set, a dining room set, and more. She recalls the celebration fondly. Our people from the plant, they gave me some presents. I mean, it just felt good 
they all got up applause it's just feeling good that you do for them and they do for you and they love you i mean like i said this is family right here wouldn't go nowhere you ain't gonna find another job like this the next time you crave catfish baked fried or in a stew look for simmons farm raised catfish a driver of the delta economy an employer with integrity the home of willie morris and maria esparza a list of vendors is online at SimmonsCatfish.com. For their commitment to quality catfish, their belief in their employees, and their support of this podcast, we thank them. When Lily Nicholson and Alan Creasy decided to form a restaurant workers' union, they were up against decades of hostility. In the context of Tennessee labor history, this is a major left turn. The volunteer state also happens to be a right-to-work state. The Taft-Hartley Act of 1947 claimed to protect American workers from being forced to unionize. In reality, it made it difficult for workers to collectively bargain for better conditions. States could now make their own laws around unionization. In cities like Memphis, the absence of labor protections disproportionately affected Black workers. In industries like auto parts manufacturing, lumber, and cotton. Not to mention the 1,300 Black workers from the Department of Public Works who went on strike in 1968 when Martin Luther King Jr. came to show his support. Unions had become, uh, at least some of them, a force for integration and one of the strong backlashes against unionization, especially in the South, really both did a lot of red baiting and race baiting and saying that, you know, unions are a threat to our segregated South. That was Jeffrey Lichtenstein. Jeffrey works for the AFL-CIO, the country's largest federation of unions, and he helped Lily and her comrades get Memphis Restaurant Workers United off the ground. Even though the Civil Rights Act of 1964 outlawed Jim Crow segregation, its legacy persists in structural racism, like health disparities and pay gaps. And then there are the challenges specific to the restaurant industry, explains Jeffrey. Because of Industrial factors in the restaurant industry make it extremely difficult to organize because of the high turnover, because of the way that the workplace is structured and scattered. And there are lots and lots of really tiny employers, which makes it very difficult to organize. Zach Barnard has seen this issue firsthand. Unlike many MRWU organizers who quit their jobs or got laid off during the pandemic, he actually returned to restaurant work. Zach was working a sales job he found entirely unfulfilling and decided to get a job as a counter server and prep cook while helping Lily and Alan start the union. I met Zach in the backyard of Otherland's Coffee, a favorite haunt of service industry workers in Memphis's Midtown neighborhood. Although he's participated in several mass protests, like the Occupy movement, he and many of his co-organizers didn't have any professional organizing experience. Some of us are veterans in the industry, but we're all babies when it comes to organizing and especially labor organizing. It's been vital for Zach, Lily, and Alan to reach out to community leaders for support, like Victoria Terry. Victoria works with the A. Philip Randolph Institute, a group of African-American trade unionists based in Washington, D.C. Victoria has organized across the country, but found her way back to Memphis, where she grew up, to help enact change in her hometown. I knew that it was time for me to put my roots down at home and start doing stuff in my own community. Victoria and Jeffrey 
help facilitate Know Your Rights trainings for MRWU's members. They also spend time meeting with local restaurant workers to gather information about the most rampant workplace abuses in the industry, like wage theft. Which is the biggest kind of theft, dollar for dollar overall, in the entire economy, which is wild. According to the Economic Policy Institute, employers steal billions of dollars from their employees every year in a variety of ways. Some bosses work their employees off the clock. Others fail to pay the minimum wage or deny their workers overtime pay. Tennessee uses the federal minimum wages, $7.25 per hour or $2.13 per hour for tipped employees. For tipped workers, tips are meant to bring wages up to the regular minimum. And if a worker's tips don't make minimum wage, it's up to their employer to pay the difference. But on slow nights, many employers don't supplement workers' wages to reach the minimum. Lily told me stories about being refused overtime pay from restaurants with multiple locations in the city because the owners claim that she was working at different businesses. Alan recalled countless instances when a customer would run out on their tab and he was forced to cover it. I heard even more stories the following Monday at the group's weekly members meeting. The meeting is often held at RP Tracks, a bar and restaurant owned by a couple named Bernard and Mary Laws, who say they support the efforts of MRWU. One of the first items on the agenda was a plan to show up in solidarity with hundreds of local Kellogg's workers who began striking for better working conditions last October. The picket line in Memphis was one of several across the country that lasted two and a half months and brought together 1,400 workers. Lily was inspired by the widespread optimism she encountered while talking to Kellogg's workers outside the plant. To feel empowered within your job is, I never thought, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. The meeting felt cathartic for other reasons as well. <laughs> Many of these organizers were close friends long before the group formed. Looking around the table, I noticed that the majority of members who showed up were younger white men. The week before, Victoria Terry had pointed out that the group's demographics are not yet representative of the service industry in Memphis, or of the city for that matter. Memphis is 70% Black and most of our organization is mostly white. And I think that problem kind of speaks to a bigger issue in Memphis of racism. Why is it that every worker here is white in a city that's 70% Black? If you take the average restaurant in Memphis, chances are the front of house staff will be majority white, while the back of the house will be predominantly made up of immigrant workers and workers of color. This unsettling trace of Memphis's segregated past reflects a larger structural issue in the industry. And Victoria wants to make sure that the union is as diverse as the city. There's something that I'm trying to work on or one of my main focuses, like, as, like, one of the only Black people, like, in the group is to make sure that, like, I put a stop to that because Black people are not a monolith and I can't speak for all Black workers, all Black food workers in the industry. So if, like, we as group members or part of the organization don't take steps to intentionally go into areas where we know that Black food workers are going to be, we're not going to have a fair representation, like, in our own organization. So, like, it's important that, like, we diversify the base. Of course, the connection between inequalities like front-of-house representation and health disparity are more pronounced than ever as we enter year three of COVID. 
the thousands of lives lost in the service industry have only magnified the same labor issues that have existed for generations. The timing is like both perfect and terrible. We, we have known for years how exploited we are, but then this just put like a spotlight on it. Victoria had the same takeaway. In Memphis and beyond, she's seen how the extended shelter in place pushed many restaurant workers to imagine possibility in spite of a bleak reality. It's to the point where we can't sit back anymore and wait on people to do things for us. You know what I'm saying? So I think, especially in Memphis, where it's really a blue-collar city, and we have so many workers, that's why we understand now that like workers are going to be the ones that are going to create systemic change like we have to. Zach Barnard realized early on that the pandemic labor crisis would give folks in the service industry leverage to demand improved working conditions. He believes they can create something better out of all the uncertainty. And sometimes that's scary, right? Because again, things like seem to be coming apart, but it's also incredibly inspiring because the more that things come apart on a systemic level, the more I've personally seen an increased spirit of solidarity and love and connection on, on the part of the working class people in this country. And it's just, God, it, it keeps me going. Something we've all heard over the past year is that there's a labor shortage. That argument, even that phrase, puts the onus on workers rather than employers and lawmakers to compromise. Even when it's a matter of life or death, says Jeffrey Lichtenstein of the AFL-CIO. One of the things about there being a shortage of workers, which is at least in part true, because there's a lot of people are dead, which is a, a, a really tragic and morbid reality. People are also demanding more for their time, um, demanding a higher pay and, and more dignity on the job. And all those things together allow for folks who are in the job market to have more leverage, to have more courage. If we reframe the labor shortage as a wage shortage, people may start to see the underlying issue. Take the recent wave of labor organizing across the country, from Kellogg's to the unionization efforts at Starbucks stores in several states. Rather than accepting the way things were, industry vets like Allen are envisioning how they could be. Restaurants and restaurant management just seem to think that because that was the way that it's always been, that that's the way it's just going to continue post-pandemic. And I'm sorry to say that there's just enough of us getting out there and organizing and saying enough is enough, that it's just not going to be that way anymore. A couple of months after meeting Alan and Lily, I caught up with them to find out how things were going with unionization. Lily was thrilled to report that the group is now officially affiliated with an international shop, UFCW, or United Food and Commercial Workers. UFCW is a union of more than a million workers in the U.S. and Canada that advocates for better working conditions across many industries, including retail and beverage work. Lily's group will start paying monthly dues. That's an added expense for many workers who are still struggling. But Lily says it's necessary to create a viable future for everyone. We're putting money into building something from the ground up, and it's, you know, with our our monthly contributions, you know, it adds up. Um, it's an investment, I think, is, is how I look at it. Lily and her comrades are now working on their first union contract. They're in negotiations with the owners of RP Tracks, the restaurant that often hosts the group's weekly meetings. 
The owners are enthusiastic about establishing a contract that includes health benefits for their employees. Lily's hoping she can leverage that victory to propose a contract with her own employer, an independent restaurateur in Memphis. Alan has already secured a significant raise at a bar where he hosts Trivia Night. For the first time in both of their careers, there's hope that restaurant workers can find a way to remain in an industry that's been historically undervalued. Workers like Lily and Alan are also reshaping the industry, challenging its very structure to make it more sustainable. There is this whole group of people who are passionate, who love working in the restaurant industry, who love dealing with people, who love cooking, who love everything about that industry, despite everything that's wrong with it, and despite everything that needs to improve. We don't want to leave completely. We want to be there. But we're only going to be there if we're treated right. There have been several moments over the years when Willie has also considered leaving the industry for good, not the least of which was her face-off with the rat. But now that she's successfully created a restaurant workers' union, she told me she's in it for the long haul. I'm not going to leave until I see it better. Gravy was reported and produced by Sarah Holtz who trained in audio production and writing at Duke Center for Documentary Studies. Special thanks to Hannah Grabenstein. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as Gravy's publisher. Additional editing by Olivia Terenzio and Katie King is our fact checker. Visit us at southernfoodways.org to immerse yourself in our career server oral histories. There you'll meet folks like Princeton Saunders, Nelson Gonzalez, and Bernita Joyner, and many, many more. While you're there, we'd be much obliged if you'd consider becoming a member or making a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm Sarah Camp Milam. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Pass the gravy boat. There's plenty to go around.